And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Friday in Los Angeles and we are joined. Look how happy she is. Always full of energy. Chinea Gumuke, how are you? I'm great and I'm full of energy because it's Friday. And also I get to chat with you and I made it on time. Actually, I made it early. How is Stanford uh, women's basketball doing this year? We're crushing it, even though we did take one loss. But I think a lot of people thought that we weren't going to be as good as we are. Go car. Let's go. Fear the tree. Uh, Cam Brink loading number two pick uh, in the WNBA draft if she chooses to come out. So we're winning. Very nice. Okay. And I think a lot of people saying she's making a case for player of the year. People are saying. Some people are saying. Uh, oh, yeah, people like me. Some people are saying that the Golden State Warriors played the Los Angeles Clippers last night at the Staples Center. Uh, which will always be the Staples Center. And uh, in their <laughs> first game since Draymond Green was suspended indefinitely in a decision that seems to have been made by sort of a whole bunch of stakeholders working together. Um, I was at the game. Uh, I was impressed with the Warriors' fight because it, it it felt at times when it got to 12, 13, 14 that they might let go of the rope. Steph was having a bad shooting game. Obviously, they've gone through some internal trauma in the last 72 hours and you could really Janae talking to a lot of people around their team last night, you could really feel the exhaustion and the sadness and everyone just sort of trying to deal with whatever comes next. And they fought until the end. Clay had his best game of the season probably. And they made a game of it. I was impressed with that, but they did lose. They are 10 and 14. They started six and two, which means they are, Whatever they are, since four and twelve, I guess by my elementary math, um, and you know, look, this is a transitional period. Wiggins bench, Kaminga in, Pajemski in, young guys playing more, veterans playing a little less. How much loony are we going to see? How are they going to figure out the offense without the guy who's kind of been their quarterback on both ends of the floor for a decade now? Um, what did you see out of them last night? Um, that was interesting to you in basketball terms today? What I saw that was interesting to me was one, you said that you were impressed by the Warriors fight. I was impressed by Clay Thompson's response. A lot of people have been very critical of Clay, how he's been shooting. And, you know, whenever you have a contract situation, there is a lot of pressure. And when things don't go your way, and we all know Clay, like he internalizes every miss and he you know, expects every make. And so for him to come out and have one of those get right games, I mean, it was just right off of the tip. I don't know if you're there for the tip, Zach, but it just felt like, bam, hit one. And then you're like, okay, he's locked in tonight. Was I there for the tip? Of course I was there. I was in my seat (laughs) watching. I was already a quarter and a half through Wolves Mavs in my seat when the tip happened. And then my focus shifted to the game in front of me. Don't give me a little credit. Well, sometimes I, I, I assume that maybe you're in the background, you know, catching up with people. But I know you have your headphones in. That's one thing I know 24-7 when the game starts. I forgot headphones my in. headphones last night. And what? honestly, what did you do? <laughs> I, I, I dipped into my little laptop satchel where I usually have my headphones and they weren't there. And I had this moment of panic, like, how am I gonna, I'm gonna, how am I gonna do this? Should I go back? Am I gonna have to hear these fans? I, like, I, do I have to actually be a participant of this game? People are gonna try to talk to me, and it's gonna do be I clap? horrible. Um, 
I actually thought, should I go back to the hotel? And I was like, no, that's ridiculous. You're being ridiculous, Zach. Just yeah, you. I'm not gonna lie, Zach. You are on point with 99.999% of things. But this whole headphones at games, uh, multiverse of basketball that you experience while you're at a game where you can feel the energy that that's still that's the point zero zero one percent that still baffles me but i love you though so like and, and that's why we speak the same language because we love to watch games uh so i clay, just like to watch the game i'm at clay strong response i was watching the game through the lens of like how different do they look without draymond defensively you just feel the lack of size and and just oomph like the Clippers lit them up for 69 points in the first half. Maybe they even cracked 70. I can't remember if they got to 70 at the end. Wiggins is now just a power forward all the time, and they're playing three guards a lot. You just feel the lack of size. I was almost more interested in the offense. Like pick either end of the floor. What did you see in the Draymond void, like in his absence? Okay, so the the point of the floor that I want to focus on is the Warriors defense because the moment that they made this lineup shift. They were small and they went small against a team that historically in the past had been known as Lob City. And it was Lob City yesterday. I don't know if you felt the energy, Zach, because you didn't have headphones. But I mean, James Harden to Zoo, James Harden to Russ. I mean, Kawhi getting up there. It just felt like and even Norm Powell. I mean, float game, finish game, especially late down the stretch, being able to finish that's because they were small, their opponents went right through them, and there's no fear that Draymond Green brings of the help side. Like, it's a gift to be able to anticipate offense in the NBA. When it's faster, when the players are the most elite, Draymond, that's what he does so well. He will go with his arms wide open and be there before you even think about making your own move. Now that that is gone, players are like, oh, it's a field day. Like, it just felt like the Clippers had their confidence attacking the rim. And I saw so many dunks. I was like, man, like, you you need help. You need help with interior defense. So, look, I mean, I did a whole spiel on Draymond the other day. You can listen to that if you want, people, if you haven't. Part of what makes this such a sad situation, sad, I want to say sad like he's a, you know, a victim or something. I mean, he's his his level of aggression and violence on the court is just not okay. It's not okay. It's dangerous for other players and he's now away from the team indefinitely. But it is over it, it is now as I said as we've all been talking about on NBA today this week, it's now in the first paragraph of his career write up that this is this is like a like right alongside it doesn't define him doesn't define his basketball. Still, the basketball defines him, but it's all intertwined now. He's in that in that zone where the shenanigans and the violence and the incidents are just intertwined with the basketball. That's a legacy thing. That's an all time thing, and it's it's a sad way to end what is like a decade now of this team being at or near the top of the league. A decade, 2013, Shanae, when Mark Jackson was the coach, they beat the Nuggets in the first round and pushed the Spurs to the brink in the second round. That's when they put themselves on the map. Like, we're a real team. That's a long time ago, 2013. Yep. What were you doing in 2013, Janae? I was a junior at Stanford watching this team be birthed just a couple miles north in San Francisco. I was playing my first season without my big sis. That was my only year not going to the Final Four. Mm. Only only one year? That's pretty impressive. Um, and, and, and presently... 
he's maybe not the same player he was in his prime, although he's shooting threes this year and shooting them well. He's still one of the 10 best defenders in the NBA. Like, he's still that guy on defense. Offensively, my one hope for them was maybe they'll simplify things a little bit without him because he's the guy who quarterbacks all. Like, you run around over there, you screen, everyone's running around, we're throwing passes all over the gym. And the turnovers would come down, and they did. They had a couple bad turnovers last night, including a thrown away inbounds pass that, of course, led to a Russ three. As soon as Ooh. you throw away the inbounds pass, you know the shot's going in. It doesn't even matter if Russ is shooting it, it. I enjoy I enjoy Russ after he makes a three, just for like that moment he stands there and goes like, "You see that? Yeah, you see that?" And then he runs back. So he also, as an aside, had um, one of those Russ bank shots that just you can feel <laughs> the ball like screaming in pain and you can feel the backboard being like, Oh no, this thing's going to hit me hard. It's going to hit me hard. It it, it almost just broke my phone. It almost just broke my phone. It's going to hit me hard. And you can feel in the arena when, when he's shooting from an angle and the fans can tell he's banking it. You can feel a sense of like car crash anticipation. Okay. But in fairness, Zach, in fairness, as someone who plays at the pro level, there's some coaches that tell you to shoot that shot. Like when no, we he's do a our... good bank shot shooter, but when he misses, it's like a bonk. It's a bonk, and it doesn't even hit the but rim. Like, it just bonks. Are there any good bank shots? I feel like all misses on bank shots are bonks. Like you're either short and you get a wedgie, a basketball wedgie, or you're long and you barely even like touch the rim. <laughs> There's no good bank shot miss. Um. Uh, okay, Draymond Warriors. And they did only have 11 turnovers last night. And I thought, you know, like, they might run more pick and roll. They're just standard pick and roll. That really didn't happen last night. They were about average in terms of their normal pick and roll volume. But it just kind of, like, conceptually, the, the concepts are the same. It was just a little simpler. And part of their issue is, like, I kind of am interested to see what um, more of the Kaminga Saric front court. Because one of the things you really feel even more dire now that their offense is probably going to be a little simpler is they just need someone rolling out there, rolling hard. And like they got mileage last night out of like CP Dario pick and rolls, either a switch and a mismatch or like Dario pops. And then here comes clay on a handoff, which is kind of like a second pick and roll, pretty simple stuff, but man, they're screaming for someone to just go North South and like Kaminga. Okay. But it's kind of the kind of has to be the guy. Hasn't that always historically been the issue with the Warriors? If there is one area, and I used to say this like years ago on NBA Today, maybe it was like two years ago, and then even prior to that, if there's one area that their opponents can exploit, it's the center position. And then now when they have no leverage, they have no leniency based off of Draymond and just who they have available, this has just been their consistent issue, you know, not having someone that can be a zoo for them. Consistently, you know what I mean. I also like you bringing up a Jonathan zoo, Kaminga. not not a place where animals are are no no are, no Zubats. Uh, display Evita <laughs> Zubats to be clear, who is playing sensationally. And by the way, we're going to talk a little bit about the Clippers. Of a huge reason that the Clippers are, I think, eleven and three in their last fourteen games. And and I went out uh, for a an adult beverage after the game with an NBA person last night, and we were like, if you had to power rank the West based on how well the team is playing, like, in the last two weeks. Man. Like, where would you rank the Clippers? And we came to the conclusion that, yeah, the Lakers won the IST, and, yeah, OKC is amazing. Just last two weeks, I think you'd go Denver just by default is at the top, Minnesota, 
And I think Clippers, like even OKC is like four and four in their last eight games. Qualitatively, they have been better than the Clippers. Absolutely no question about it. They are a contender to win the conference. That's how good Oklahoma City can be with me. One more little mini trade, but that's how all the Clippers are playing. And Zoo is a huge reason for that. Not only oh, yeah. that, his pick and roll chemistry with Harden started off horrible. They didn't know how to Harden didn't know how he liked Zoo liked the ball. Zoo was like mm-hmm. throwing the passes all over the gym out of the short roll. And talking to people from the Clippers this week. Every day after practice, yep. Harden and Zoo, Harden and Tice, they all get together and like, let's just do 30 minutes of reps, pick and roll, because I got to learn you, you got to learn me. And like, that's the stuff that, you know, Harden kind of has become this punchline of like, make jokes about the strip clubs and his his playoff, whatever, two of 11 games. I've done my share of it, but like, he does do that part of the work and it shows. Yeah, and I think it's not just the end. They say first in two because I think he's realized that, I said it, he's got his way throughout his course of the NBA, leaving Houston, going to Brooklyn, Brooklyn to Philly, and Philly. It's very rare that you have a player finesse their way the way that James Harden has. And I think he understands that based off of the recency of, what was it, three teams, three years almost, you know, this is the defining moment for him. And I'm glad to see him own it. James has been spectacular. Oh. And he's been spectacular. Not just this. Uh, I mean, I think yesterday was the perfect, and I don't know if, yeah, we, I don't want to date it, but I think the Warriors game was a perfect example of it. All of the mis, not mistakes, all of the struggles he's had and the stops of the last two years have birthed this version of James Harden, who, by the way, has stopped. Uh, he's 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 no longer that guy that just throws himself at the rim and gets a foul call. Now, if he beats you, he'll hit you with a nice little bounce pass. And he's figured it out for the Clippers. That quick little momentum bounce pass, people are in their stride, cutting into the lane. He's hitting people on time and target for their corner shooting. What he learned in Philly, leading or pacing the NBA in assists for the last two or so years, has translated to helping the Clippers now make that list of teams that you think if they stay together and stay healthy, have a real shot. They've been solid. Oh, wait, oh, and also, his catch-and-shoot numbers, he's shooting shooting 40% from three. That has historically been his weakness, his his, uh, three-point catch-and-shooting. Since joining the Clippers. It's not even a weakness. It's like an absence. (laughs) It's like just a refusal to do it. Shooting 40% on catch-and-shoot. That's what the Philly was begging him to do. That was what was quite difficult for him, but now he's doing it at a higher level for the Clippers along with passing. And then finally we got the scoring output. You have to give respect to that man. And before we bring in the great Ramona Shelburne to talk more about Draymond, just a couple of things on the Clippers. Um, Everyone is shooting catch and shoot threes. Kawhi is shooting more of them and Kawhi is attacking closeouts. He's getting many more opportunities to do it and he looks comfortable doing it. They have multiple actions flowing from one to the other, so it's not just your How turn. How is this the first stop. time we said Kawhi? Kind of crazy too, right? We're going to say it again. Your tur- It's not just like your turn, stop. My turn, stop. There's a little bit of a flow. Uh, and Kawhi, I mean, you saw him last night. Hunt Chris Paul. Bully Clay Thompson at the end of the game because the Warriors are just too small. He looks like Kawhi on bu- – and he had like five defensive plays last night where it's like, oh, I remember that guy, that guy who's mm-hmm. just like appears, he just appears like, oh, the, oh, he was there like a ghost just taking the ball. And the other thing about and Norm Powell's playing great, their starters with Terrence Mann, obviously that lineup didn't play last night because PG was out, plus 14 per 100 possessions. And just last thing on Harden, 
Remember how bad they were, 0-5? And he was like minus a million in those five games? They're mm-hmm. now plus 63 total points in 600-some minutes with Harden on the floor. That is wow. a gigantic turnaround for them. It's a dangerous team. And, look, I was one of the people who was kind of – I would describe myself as, like, lukewarm okay with the trade. I didn't think it was going to vault them into, like, the Denver tier. But my take from day one was they're better now than they were before the trade. I'm not sure how much better. Not sure it would have been a better fit with Drew Holiday. Maybe, maybe not. Not sure what they offered for Drew Holiday. But they had come to the conclusion, as I've said over and over again, that their general thesis of if PG and Kawhi are healthy, we have enough to win it all was no longer valid. And they needed something else. And this was the something else that they wanted and craved. And they got it. And I said from day one, Maybe you don't love it. Maybe you don't love Harden. Maybe, you know, the the not enough basketball thing that P.J. Tucker joked about. They're better now than they were before. But this this run, this run is an announcement. Like, we're not just better. We're not just stable. We're not just salvaging something from this trade. We're freaking serious. And, like, we're going to be here for a while. And their front office should get some vindication and some apologies from people who saw said this was a dumb trade. Chinay, um, before we bring in Ramona to talk about Draymond, she had a big story last night on the subject. Um, did you have any like leftover thoughts on just what has transpired, how the team has handled it, kind of starting with the pool punch till now, and just sort of like as a player who's been in the heat of stuff on the floor and and is like – not, you know, not quite a contemporary of Draymond, but not that far away. Watched his career from up close for so long. Like what, now that we've had time to digest this, what has been on your mind? So I see it two ways, right? Being a player myself that loves to play defense and, you know, is not willing to be, not afraid to be physical and stuff like that. How Draymond can get lost in the moment, right? But you still have to know the boundaries of what you're in. So, like, I can relate. And also, like, I I tell people this all the time. The first time I met Draymond, World University Games, we're both 20 years old. We became instant friends just because, you know, we're two people that like to talk. We talk a lot. And when he got drafted to the Bay, I got to know him even better because I I was at Stanford. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen the human perspective of Draymond, especially as he's grown. I used to go to the Warriors games when I used to have days off all the time because my other friend, Festus Azili, was playing for them as well. So I've seen Draymond become the man he is, right? I think what we're seeing now is just, you know, and and we'll probably get to this with Ramona, there clearly have been stressors in his life where, like, that control he normally has, it just seems like it's almost like you're watching your body afterward and you're like, whoa, was that me? Did I choose to do that? You know, that type of stuff. So I get the human perspective, but I do absolutely agree with the the league and the indefinite suspension. And I see uh, this as a really good opportunity for, for him to really reflect because that, it, it's come to that point. Secondly, my other perspective is as someone who's been on the Players Association, typically in these situations, you're you're going to the perpetrator. You're going to say like, hey, we don't want the league to exert too much power over players and instances but at some point you have to start hearing the myriad of voices that either are silent meaning not there to support what he's doing or they're speaking up 
you know, saying that, hey, th- th- like now this is like now you have a narrative that you go and play against him. And it's like, oh, we have to deal with this circumstance. That becomes an issue for the majority of the NBA players. I think that's where we're at. We're at a point where Draymond has realized that, hey, that guy that I see on this video and these replays is not who I am. And it's something that has not just been isolated to this one incident. It's been something we've seen particularly a lot the last two years. And then two, you have to start protecting the other players because, you know, you, the, the league, we know that you get hit. That's one thing you get hit in the head. That's another thing. They're already looking to protect players in that instance. But then when you have this narrative that, oh, this guy, I mean, he like get him help, you know, that's when the le- the players association will be like, we have to respect the voices in the majority here too. So I'm interested to see how all of this is in the balance. Well, look, I mean, the NBA has had, uh, I mean, there's literally a book called The Punch about Kermit Washington and Rudy Tomjanovich. Yeah. And I don't mean to say, like, this is going to come out maybe the wrong way, but Draymond and the Warriors are, in in a way, lucky that he already hasn't, he could have seriously hurt Jordan Poole. I mean, that was a straight-up, cold-cocking, hard, momentum-leaning, jumping at him. And that Nurkic thing, like, he swung his arm hard. Like, those are dangerous, dangerous plays. More broadly with the Warriors, you know, they're 10 and 14. And a lot of the conversation is going to be, like, how can they save this season? Because number 30 is still number 30. He's still a guy that can be the number one guy in a title team. We're, these next two, three weeks, like, the West is so good. The margin fair is so little, and they're so far behind just, like, sixth. You know, forget home court in the first round or anything like that. The conversation could shift the other way, not necessarily to, like, throw away this season, but just organizationally, do we have to start thinking not just this season, salvaging this season, but, yeah. like, what does this look like in three years? Assuming Steph is still here, which, I, I look, I, I can't ever picture reality where that marriage changes. The roadmap to a post-Draymond, Clay, or maybe not even post, but, like, a, a world in which they aren't as integral to the team as they have been for the last 10 years, that roadmap doesn't have LaMelo Ball. It doesn't have Tyrese Halliburton. It had James Wiseman, and it has Jonathan Kaminga, and it has Moses Moody. And I don't know where that map leads, the salaries are what they are. I don't know what this means for them as they go forward, but I, I, I at some point you reach a, a, a marker of the season where going all in to win this particular year is no longer a viable goal. I don't know that the Warriors are there right now. The Warriors right now are just shell-shocked more than anything else. Let's bring in now Ramona Shelburne to talk about the shell-shot Golden State Warriors because Ramona... Uh, first of all, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm coming to you live from a room at my son's preschool. So this has got to be a first for the, <laughs> for the low post. There's I more lo- like... you, know, you know what? Those kids could learn something if they're listening right? to you, Ramona. Maybe you, maybe you will inspire a future journalist that's a couple of rooms away. Um, I mean, they're four, but you know, okay. <laughs> yeah. By the time they, by the time they're 20 yeah. journalism, I, I'm frightened for the amount of robots Seriously. that are going to be. I mean, Sports Illustrated was already exposed a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I worked at Sports Illustrated. This is my first job in sports journalism full time. Was at Sports Illustrated. I was a real person. Me too. I, we were real people writing. Yeah. Really, like you didn't click on our bylines or Google our names, and like nothing would come up in Google. What an embarrassment, by the way. Okay, 
Um, so Ramona, you are here because I love you, but also because you last night I'm at the Clippers game. I log on to ESPN.com to wow. check scores of other games. Like, oh my God, Ramona has a Draymond story. She talked to Draymond right before, apparently on the phone, this suspension was levied, which means obviously you talked to him in the day after yeah. the Nurkic incident. Um, what, what was that phone call like? What's his tone? What's like, uh, why did he want to talk to you? How did it happen? Like just to, I want to hear everything about it. Yeah. Well, I'll back up. Um, so we had spoken the week before it was after the trailblazers game, right? So this is after, this is right after he comes back from the Rudy, Rudy situation. And I had flown up there to talk to him at practice one day. And then he had all this stuff after practice and we couldn't do it. So he said, come back tomorrow. We'll talk after the game. And I was like, Oh, you know how that goes, Zach. Like that. If they win the game, they'll talk. If they don't, you never know. Like I don't know how that's going to go. But he sort of he seemed like he was in a place that he had processed everything. He was open. He wanted to be open. He wanted to be. He wanted to tell you how he felt. But he was still very much in the same headspace of where he was after he came back, which was I'm not going to change. I'm I'm going to play like I have 15 texts and not yell at the refs and I'll. I'll maybe tone it down just a little extra so I so I don't get an extra tech. But he wasn't in a there is something that I really fundamentally need to change because he's very much um Draymond is as you know, like he's a second round pick, lightly regarded coming out of college, really, you know, had to prove himself in the league and the and that swagger and that 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 demeanor that he brought to the league that made him Draymond Green, that, that competitiveness. I mean, I, I, I think of him on the court. I mean, I think he's like a lion, right? Like the way he is in the, on, on defense, the, the, the competitiveness edge. I always go back to Kobe Bryant saying that to him and the Warriors early on, you're the edge. You're like, don't shy away from that. And he's what made them great. Like as much as Steph Curry made them the Warriors, Draymond Green made them the Warriors. So I really felt like I was talking to a guy and I, and I feel this right now when I'm talking to Steph too. These are two guys fighting for their existence in as a team. They're they're fighting to keep this team together as the way that they wow. won four championships, you know, since 2015, the four championships. And so you feel that they are trying to continue to make the case in every single thing that they do that this team can still win and can still stay together. And the more you watch it, the more you're like, I don't know. Like, you heard that after the playoffs last year. You heard that all throughout the year. Even, Jack, you and I both heard this coming into the preseason. Like, they were so excited about this team. And so the way I heard Draymond the first night after the after the Portland win, and this is – and it was kind of surreal because next door, Steve Kerr is telling everyone, uh, we've been so bad, I might have to consider making changes to this five-man group that had been historically good. I mean, and it wasn't just like – Anthony Slater or Marcus Thompson asked a question. It was, he just slipped it into an answer about something else. Like it was, it was a message that he wanted to deliver publicly. Like we may have to change some things. So on the one hand, you have Steve saying, this ain't working. I tried to give it as much time as I could. And then Draymond over here, you know, still kind of articulating this worldview that we're fine. We're fine. I'm still Draymond. He's still Steph. And I, you know, I had, I'd kind of, what I really wanted to know was what he remembered from the Gobert situation. Cause that, you know, we've seen a lot of Draymond incidents over the years, right? Um, that one seemed a little extra. That one just seemed like more than um, a, a stomp, a swing. That was, he held on for a really long time. 
This wasn't like, you know, he grabbed him off his teammate and then let go. This was held on for way too long. And I said, what do you remember about that? And he goes, you know, I remember seeing him on my teammate. I remember trying to get him off clay. And then it's like time you lose. You don't know what time is in those moments. And it's like he described it to game seven of the NBA finals where they, they didn't score for almost four minutes and there were, and he didn't know until after the game. Um, he described it as this like intense thing where things are just going and you don't have any idea how much time has passed, which I can relate to. I think you have these moments in your life where time kind of slows down, but it was the description of it that made me think like, Oh, he, I don't think he had an awareness of time and space in the moment he's grabbing Gobert. And he said, he immediately watched the play on his phone in the locker room afterwards and was like, Oh, Oh, I held on way too long. Like he knew it right then. So I know he gave press conferences afterwards. I know he didn't necessarily say a lot of that publicly, but I think right away, I think he recognized he held on too long to go bear. And he he did, he himself didn't have that awareness in the moment. Quick question. Quick question. So do you think he dissociated in that moment his entire history with Gobert? Because to me, that's fascinating because maybe it was maybe two or so years ago where they were back and forth chattering about yeah. DPOY. And well, so he made me- fun of he made fun of Rudy for for yeah. showing for crying like when yeah. he didn't make the ulcer. He made fun of him. And in my See, head, I think all that leads yeah. into the moment. I think all that leads into the moment where you see I think there's two things that happen in that moment. He sees Clay Thompson in some sort of a tussle with Rudy. And it's not just a Clay Thompson and tussle. First of all, Clay and Draymond very close, play dominoes, chess, everything like on the plane. They sit at the these are teammates. These are for, for a decade now. They're very close. Brothers. So when you see somebody on your teammate, you have an emotional gut reaction. I also think he saw it was Gobert, right? So that history plays in there. And then what happens in those like how long? I didn't do a running count. How long was it? Five seconds, six seconds, seven seconds that he held on. What happens between the initial action of I'm going to go grab him to I'm holding on this long? How, how much time elapses there? I don't think he can explain why he held on that long. I don't think he can explain what was going through his head because it, it feels to me like that's the part where he's not really aware of himself and the time and the space and the situation. Flash me forward and tell me about this phone call ahead of the yeah. Nurkic suspension because I, I just – I would just be curious, like hear his voice, yeah. hear his tone, every everything. He was Zach. I talked to him about. Well, I remember exactly what time it was because I had an appointment at eleven thirty. So um, it was about eleven fifteen, eleven eleven twenty or so. Um, he was leaving his house to go to their team meeting, which was going to be at noon at the team hotel. Draymond has a house here in L.A., um, so when they come to L.A., he stays here. I think he flies back and forth a lot as well, um, you know, on the off days and stuff, and. Um, I, you know, he, he seemed fine. He didn't, he didn't seem like he was really worried about what the league was going to do. Um, he sounded almost calmer than he did the night before about the situation. Like, I'm just really bad at selling calls. Um, I feel bad that he thinks it was intentional or he thinks I need help or whatever. Like he goes, I really didn't mean to do it. Like in his mind, you know, it was a wild flail, but it, it was unintentional. It was incidental. You know, he was, he even talked about, how he had been restrained and talking to the ref that night. Like he, you know, the ref was like, you know, he, he made a point of not um, escalating calls or escalating arguments with referees that night. And that was his way of 
showing restraint. Um, he sounded like Draymond. It was just Draymond as we've come to know him over the past decade, like competitive, fiery, um, still kind of that same rhetoric of like, we're fighting to keep this thing together. And um, he goes, you know, look, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to apologize to save my ass. Like, that's not me. If I, I'm only going to apologize if I didn't mean to do something. But if I did something and I'm not going to just turn around and pretend like I didn't do it. So I think in his mind, it was very clear that the, that he, he didn't feel like the Nurkic thing was intentional. Now, whether the Gobert thing was like, that's, that's something only he can really answer. But I think um, that Nurkic thing, I think he, I don't think he realized um, the severity of that at all. Now, I think he just felt bad about it. From what I heard at the game last night, that team meeting did happen where he spoke to the team. I don't, no one really wants to spill the details of that. That's a private thing. You know, before we go back, Chanae, I'm going to let you cook on the Rockets. Don't worry. Um, (laughs) You had a line in your story, Ramona, about um, both people within the league office and the team Uh thought that there should have been more of a a suspension for the pool incident. Yeah. even, Even at the time. And obviously, you know, he lost some standing within the organization because of that and and, yeah. and, and continues to struggle to recover yeah, it. frankly. The one guy he has never lost, and if he ever loses him, that's a game changer, is Steph. Yep. And But I wonder if, if you could elaborate a little bit on the pool thing and whether yep. the team looks back now and says – I mean, that was such a shock. And then the, even the leak of the tape was a shock. It was like, and it, and the leak of the tape gave Draymond ammunition to be angry at the team. It sort of like had anger swirling or, or yeah. whoever he thought leaked it. Yeah. But do they talk about that now as, a, as not a missed opportunity, but like, boy, if we could, like, that was such a strange situation. Maybe we didn't handle it right. Yeah. I think a lot of people have looked back and seen what happened since and, and said, well, we should have handled this differently. But I, I'm telling you, the one thing that really factored into that decision, at least on the team side of it, was the fact that if he were to be suspended for any games, he would have missed ring night. And that I think that really um, that weighed very heavily in the decision, the ring, the ring night of it all. OK, because um, that's a that's an incredibly you know, big night for for any player. Um, I think um, there was also when you mentioned the leak of the tape, Zach, I remember, and I, even when you bring it up now, people are really angry about that. Like that shattered the mystique of trust that had had always been there with the Warriors. Like, I don't think anything's ever the same since that leak. We still don't know how that happened. No, that's like, no, I asked Draymond. It it is. I asked Draymond about it. I said, did they ever find out what happened? I've asked people with the Warriors. Did they ever find it? And if they have, they're certainly not saying anything publicly. But my sense from everyone up there is that they, they truly don't know. The only thing that feels very weird to, I think Draymond said, he goes, it's just weird what that there was a whole practice and only those seconds leaked, right? Like it felt like somebody, it wasn't just like. It's not that yeah. weird. That, that seems like someone yeah. added out for Draymond. It's like, it's, right. not, it's not weird. It's just, yeah. it's, it's but, obvious but what think, happened. Like at the time. I think there was almost so much anger that somebody would violate the trust of a practice and of the team that it kind of affected the decision on whether to suspend him or not, on how to punish him. 
Does that make sense? No, like, there's I more that's what I meant. It, 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 it complicated exactly. what should have been a simpler situation. And I think that's why we're at the boiling point with Yusuf Nurkic, because I think if you go back to all these Draymond incidences, there is a gap where Draymond in some way can justify his anger, you know, in a yes. situation, especially with Rudy. You can justify, oh, my guy's in a situation. I have to go and protect him. You know, Jordan said this or that or this practice is going some yeah. way. I'm the vet. I have to put him. There's something. The breaking point with the NBA is the fact that there was no justifiable reason for Draymond to hit Yusuf uh, Nurkic that way. And I think that's what he needs to understand um, because there's always been a little bit of leniency in all these situations where yeah. he can walk away and say, but it was just so apparent that that was casual yeah. defense. Yeah. So I'll say this. Um, I had somebody say to me, like, all these incidents, like I like Draymond even said when I talked to him, Zach, that before the suspension came down, um, he was like, why would I be mad at Nurk in that moment? Like, just ask yourself, like, there's no reason I would be mad and I would swing on him. I wasn't mad at him. I was just trying to sell the call. What he doesn't get is there was a recklessness to that swing. Like there was some extra. There was some physicality. There was also um, this this macro level thing of you are under the microscope right now. Like you got to really make sure that like, you got to be a little extra careful. Like, you know, when you're driving and there's a cop behind you and you're like, Oh, I'm going to, what's the speed? I'm going to go like two miles under. Cause I don't want well, and that's, I'm gonna make that's sure my phone's down. That's yeah. the scary part for the Warriors when he comes back is how does it feel for him and for the whole team? There's, you either have to put it out of your head or you're going to have a little bit on edge at all times. Like, one yeah. more thing, and I don't know what's on yeah. the table. Like, a, is a se- is a season long suspension? Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I just I don't know the answer. But it's hard to. It's interesting to see how he and they play with that possibility hanging over. He said, "All right, you've got to go, Ramon. I want to keep you. You got yeah. like stuff to do. Thank you for um, yeah. taking a break from your uh, other career as a preschool teacher." Uh, <laughs> uh, no, we I, got I, we got mommy and me yoga next door. That's where I I went into it. Wait, Literally. mommy and me yoga? Yeah, it's kind of great. It's like we do. I mean, you know the happy baby pose, like this. You know, I'm a big yoga. Yeah, that's yeah. A- so I will say one more thing before we transition from the from the Draymond um, conversation. I think there is a very real sense around the Warriors that um, the when you Chine, you pointed this out. And I was I was pointing at you saying you yes, you're nailing something here. Um, every single one of these incidents he has a very good explanation for, right? Like he'll get, he is a persuasive, compelling personality. You listen to him on his podcast. He's going to be the next Charles Barkley when he's retired, right? Like he is, he is a very good speaker for himself and explaining things, but there's micro, there's a micro and a macro level view of things. And so when you talk to him about a specific incident, I mean, he was describing for me in detail, Zach, like, he was on my right hip, and so I saw the ref was over, all the, over there, so I had to turn towards my right so that he would see when I flailed. Like, he is so detail-oriented and micro in his thinking at that moment, but there's not a macro-level thinking. There's not a, I need to be very aware of where I am and where my team is and all that. There's not that right now. Sam Amick wrote a good, good story the other day about what, you know something happened in the Kings game when he first came back, and he was so focused on Malik Monk and a carry that he – lost track of what was going on in the game, you know, like he was just, and I think that's, that's where everybody wants him to get to is just see the bigger picture because he's so competitive and intense 
in those moments that he cannot see how it's affecting him, his team, the league every time on a larger scale when he has these incidents. And so I think that's, um, that's the general, that's the overall sense I had when I would talk to him. I was like, you're very persuasive on these little details, but it's, it's missing the larger point, which is that these things keep happening too close together. To me, the larger point on the Nurkic thing is like, Yusuf wasn't doing anything. That was like no, regular exactly. NBA defense, yeah. and no human being has ever fallen or yeah. flailed that way. Like, no. it just wasn't a real thing. Okay, Ramona, thank right. you. Enjoy the yoga. Bye, guys. All right, Janae, <laughs> we talked about Draymond. We talked about the Warriors. We talked about the Clippers suddenly looking really good, separating Russ and Harden, where they actually have become a dangerous transition team after looking incompetent in transition for the first month of the season. Now is your time to shine, Janae, because your Houston Rockets Let's go. are 11-9 with Let's the number go. two rated defense in the NBA. I just, what do you want to talk about? The floor is yours. T- tell me about what why it makes, two, wait, what, what one, has three, made three, you three, happy eight, about zero, watching zero. the Rockets. Okay. What has made me happy? One, in exactly one week from today, which is why I'm so happy to be on your podcast, I will be in the H. I will be in Houston to celebrate the first ever Nigerian night, Nigerian Heritage Night with the Houston Rockets, which, by the way, Houston holds the largest Nigerian population in the U.S. I think one out of five Houstonians has some type of heritage to the continent. I'm hosting. I'm so excited. I've had multiple meetings with Gresham Shear and Julian Duncan and Raphael Stone and his incredible crew down there. So I'm going home to Houston for the Rockets game. So that's first and foremost, that's news right there. Very excited about that. That's awesome. Almost. Yes. And I had an interview with Bum B. It's lit. Like, I'm just happy for this and also excited to celebrate the, oh, what? How did I miss this? Getting to do a panel with Hakeem Olajuwon as well. Childhood dream, trifecta and coach Udoka, which is, uh, this is going to be, it's like chef's kiss. So many people are showing up. Toby Nwigwe, I don't, I, I'm sure you, some of these people, you don't know who I'm talking about, but it's all good. We're going to have a good time. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, let's talk about the hoops. I don't want to say it because you know when you say those things and then they jinx, they happen, but I love the Houston Rockets at home. We found our zhuzh. I know you're the king of sounds. Like, wait, I can't even do it. And all these things that you do. That was we my found sta- official statement in reaction <laughs> to the referee's pool report for ejecting Jokic was... That's my statement in response. We have found ways to win even when we're not shooting the ball well. Shooting like 30% from the field, but the defense has carried us through. Uh, Alpi, Alper and Shengun struggled the last few games. Jalen Green, question marks, you know, not in down the stretch, still finding ways to win. I know you love some Tari Eason. Oh, my God. I'm so I I'm glad you brought him up because I I got a whole like the last two Tari Eason games I'm a I'm actually a little bit worried how excited I am. Most points off the bench for a Rockets player in two years. I think he only had 27. I was like, dang, it's been that rough. It's been that rough. I mean, that's uh, off just, the bench. Off the bench is you know that is true, but still, still you you know, but like. What I love about this squad is, one, they're more committed to defense. Obviously, when you knew that Coach Udoka, what he did with the Celtics, bringing them to the number one defensive team in the NBA, it would be more challenging to do that with the Rockets, but somehow he's found them at number two in defensive rating. That's a huge plus. The development of their stars, I mean, in talking to their front office personnel, 
the guys, one, got better. LP and Jalen Green, at least starting the year uh, for Jalen. And then two, they're just, you know, you know, it takes a while for you to figure out how to use your strengths in the NBA. And they're starting to see how to use their strengths. And you know what I love about Shangun? I know he's in a slump, but like, I think he was on Podcast P. The fact that he has the street cred of NBA players for how he approaches the game, how he plays the game and all those types of things. So yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying. Oh, and like, by the way, Fred Van Vliet, like what a win. Dylan Brooks, what a win. And to pursue Fred, which by the way, I believe last season he ran the most in the entire NBA. He, his feet don't stop moving. You know, he's selfless. He, he assists the ball. He's shooting 40% from three. Like he is a selfless servant that helps these young players grow. Dylan Brooks, a lot of people after the way he exited Memphis, which by the way, Memphis is our next game up, I believe. So it'll be his return. Uh, He's he's, (laughs) he said he circled it on the calendar. I mean, he circles every game, but this one must have like highlighter around it. Uh, Dylan Brooks, I know people felt some type of way after how he exited Memphis. People were trying to ship him to China. Those dumb, dumb comments. I knew he was going to be valuable on our squad because he's one of those players you play with that forces you to be accountable to play all 82 games. That's another energy. So you've got a selfless guy on offense that is also one of the great offensive players in Van Fleet. You've got a great guy on defense. And now you have young developing stars that are getting better and a coach that institutes defense and holds everyone accountable. And on top of that, last but not least, shout out to Tillman Fertitta, because we just announced the $70 million new practice facility that is going to hopefully be, uh, I think, open and available in 2024. That's what I was reading. So we win it. That's my spiel. I'm just going to say three quick things and then we'll move on. Wow. Number one, I think Tari Eason has magnets in his hands because he just gets <laughs> the ball. Like, it's just ridiculous. Steals, Suction. offensive rebounds. And there's more to his game. He's kind of subsisted on, like, garbage man kind of stuff and, like, attack. You know, now he's hitting spot up threes. He's a 40% spot up three point shooter, attacking closeouts. He can do stuff with the ball. And I'm wondering when we're going to see it. Number two, their defense is very good. I think they're going to finish the year as a top seven or eight defense. Please, Lord. I just, I just want to just – this stat is so outrageous that I, I had to look it up on multiple sites to make sure it was <laughs> accurate. They are allowing the lowest three-point percentage in the league. Opponents are hitting only 32% on threes. That's 32%. That's like normal. Fine. Teams are shooting 25% on corner threes against them. I was like, is that an error? Is that a real thing? That's Crazy. number one. The number two team defense is 32% or 32.5%. Like, that's how big the gap is. So there are some corner threes that are coming. Number three, it's very fitting and true to how they're talked about that you and I have just gone on a Houston Rockets love fest, name checking players, coaches, owners, practice facilities, <laughs> GMs, executives. And one name that didn't come up one time is Jabari Smith Jr. Because that dude is sitting in the background. He doesn't get to work a ton with the ball. He doesn't do glamorous stuff. You know what he is? He's just good. He's a really good player. And quietly, under the radar, without a lot of chances to do stuff with the ball, you could argue he's the fifth ball handling option in their starting lineup. Shengun is emerging as an all-star candidate. Jalen Green does lots of stuff. This dude just, every time you watch the Rockets, it's like 16-9, great defense across a lot of positions, or very good defense. The three balls going in. I don't know what he's going to become because it's it's hard to, like, he's got more to him that he doesn't really get to show. 
Nobody talks about him because he's just kind of well, on the side. Shame on me. Shame no, no, no. Me. Shame on That's all of us. Bro. He's really bro. he's just a good basketball player and you know, it's Paolo, Chet, him, and like those guys are Chet's an all-star candidate, monster defender. Paolo's the number one option on one of the great feel-good stories in the league. Jabari Smith Jr. is kind of forgotten over here. That dude is good. He's one of those prototypical NBA players where it's like, oh, give me an NBA player that's uh, drafted in the 2000s, 2020s. And that's what you, when you see him, that's what you imagine. But I think oftentimes it's hard to scout and get those guys right because it's like, Flip a coin. Will he be able to pick it all together? Does he work with a team? We flipped correctly. He's a uh, he's he's a perfect blend for the. I don't even want to go too big with words, but I'm wearing my Sanford sweatshirt. Amalgamation of talent that we have. He fits the puzzle piece perfectly. So I love it. And and I think a lot of people were very had a lot of questions about will Jalen, will Alpi, will. Jabari make the next step and I think they have and some of the biggest questions as of late is like oh Jalen Green are we worried about him I'm not yeah I, don't I think, think Jalen's made the next step I'm not worried but the, uh, it's it's a little it's a little uneven let's put it that it way. is uneven but my point is as long as the majority do you're winning if you're the Rockets and that's literally why they're winning and so I'll be I mean Zach I would invite you if you had a Nigerian Ankara some kind of kaftan some kind of outfit to come join me in Houston it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time What's Daddy December. De- December 22nd, Nigerian Heritage Night, the first ever in the NBA. One week from today. With Hakeem, one week from today. Hakeem Olajuwon, Ime Odoka, Toby Nwigwe, Alan Onya, and, myself, and Vincent Neka. They, I believe we're playing the Mavericks. I think we're playing the Mavericks. Are there any Nigerian players in the game? <sighs> That's the Because memo thing. to the referees. If there is a Nigerian <laughs> player in this game... Do not eject them from the basketball Don't game. Don't pull a Jokic. <laughs> Rapid fire. I want to hit two more teams. First Let's impressions on the big three Suns who finally played the other day and it lost to the Brooklyn Nets in a game that to me was kind of eh, throwaway. Nets are a weird team with everyone's the same size. They switch everything. Any first impressions? First impression is that I knew that it was not going to be a walk-in and win scenario when you're going up against uh, the Nets, particularly a team that wanted to make a statement because it's like, hey, we're still here game in phoenix and that type of stuff so but first impressions numbers look good for uh, i mean katie is katie i'm not my first impression is i think they'll get right they have another opportunity i think they'll get right yeah me too um the nets are just a weird team to play against because you you want to see how booker and katie and beal and katie cooperate in two-man actions can they get switches and like the nets are just all the same size offensively they're going to be lights out just the collective yep. shooting playmaking decision making they didn't have allen they didn't have gordon Nurkic played well. I th- they'll be fine. I'm, I'm there, but now it's like now it's time to lock in on the Suns. I, Correct. I said, we, I said we would go through Texas. Um, they Ooh. lost last night to a Minnesota team who just keeps stringing wins together. But Dallas is fifteen and nine despite Kyrie missing a lot of games. Josh Green's been hurt. Maxi Kleba, I think, exists somewhere. He's he's hurt. Um, it just feels like they haven't had the team that they really thought they were going to have, and they're still winning a lot of games. Luka is just unbelievable, 32-9-8 on the best shooting of his career. And they have found something in Exum. Yes, love it. Now, they lost to Minnesota last night, um, but Lively is for real. And I'm interested to see when they get everybody back. If they pivot to a starting five of Luka, Kyrie, Exum, 
Grant Williams, Derek Lively. That lineup has not played one second together this year, according to Cleaning the Glass. It would mark a demotion for Jer- Derek Jones Jr. Derek Jones Jr. just played great. He's shooting threes like in volume and accuracy like we've never seen from him before. He's in the starting five because they need someone to guard the point of attack. That's a more natural job for Exum almost than it is for Derek Jones Jr. I would like to see that lineup get a shot, but this team is good and Luca is just the guy. I got some things on Luca. Yeah, go because he's a genius, man. That that pass he threw around Jackson Hayes' head the other night was like poor Jackson Hayes. Like it's it's like he he did what Perk does on TV and yo freeze and then got his pass through. That was a good freeze. That was a good freeze right there. Thank you, I appreciate that. So I I beat Perk in a mock trial yesterday. I did. I did. That was a cute segment. I want to do that next. So my thing, first of all, podcast name Texas Two-Step, at least the back end of the podcast. Secondly, Luka Doncic. I mean, I like, I even though, how, 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 do I, how do I say this? Even though the expectations were quite low to start the year, I do like how they're, you know, starting to just churn at this time instead of them starting their seasons really hot and then fizzling out later on. So if they had some issues, I'd rather it be in October, November, December, and then now they're starting to churn and they figure things out. And I love that lineup that you spit out. Luke has been phenomenal. He is the most double-teamed guy in the NBA. He has been double-teamed more than double the amount of the guy number two on that list. He sees them, I've said this on air, in his sleep. He knows how to operate them. He knows when they're coming. And then he's also, one thing I love about Luca. He trusts his teammates. They may lose games because he's passing the ball out of double teams, but they win games that people don't expect, primarily the Lakers, because he's committed to that pass-first mentality. You mentioned his numbers, 32-9-8. Only other person to do that, first of all, was Luka last year, and then prior to that, uh, Michael Jordan. The, the only issue I have is that they live and die by the three. If you know Luka's doubled the most and he passes the ball out, and you're playing the Lakers, you make 21 threes, you win. You're playing the T-Wolves, you make seven threes, you lose. That is the issue that they have. Other than that, if they can figure out some kind of stable shooting, serviceable defense, you know, they're not someone that I would say is top contender, but I think you're on upset watch if you have to play them come uh, May, June, July. Yeah, they're fourth in offense, only 23rd in defense. Their rebounding is horrible. Um, But... The, the the live and die on the three thing is interesting because they do take a ton of threes and they do not get to the rim ever and and they're that's been a case for them for for years. You know, one of the uh, Exum. I the love stories co- like that, right, Zach? Well, just the last couple games, there's been like a lot of Luca Exum pick and roll, a lot of Luca Tim Hardaway Jr. pick and roll. We saw against the Lakers, he he got Reeves switched onto him and Big Boyd Reeves. I like that as a as a thing with Kyrie both with Luca screening and Luca handling the ball and not just to get switch. Well, yes, to get switches, but not just to score out of the switch, but like draw help, kick, get it moving. And like Kyrie can Kyrie is so much more dynamic than all their other secondary ball handlers. Like he can pump and go and get to the rim and get to the line out of that. It just gets more dynamic when they play that way. And Luca, you know, it's funny. I was talking to um, people about Tyrese Halliburton, in the last couple of weeks, because I, I wrote something about him today, and I'll be writing something else about him shortly. The jump pass, the jump pass is something <laughs> you're not supposed to do, right? You get in the, you get in the air without a plan, <laughs> and that's a problem, right? Tyrese, hundred percent. Tyrese Halliburton is 
maybe the best jump passer in the entire NBA. And I was talking to people like, why is he able to get away with this? Because you're not supposed to be able to do it. And what I pitched and what came back to me was, they, the saying is, you can't get in the air without a plan. And it looks like he's in the air and he's making last-minute decisions. But what's really happening, and Luka does this too, although he's, he doesn't jump as much as he kind of pump fakes and gets defenses leaning mm-hmm. and then always catches defenses. Everyone thinks he's shooting and like all of a sudden it's like whoop, diagonally the other way. It's not that they don't have a plan when they get in the air or when they get into their shooting motion. It's that they're so smart and that they've mapped the floor with such anticipation that they have all the plans already in their head. And based on what you do in a nanosecond, they choose which plan to hit. They're so far ahead of the game. You know who would be in this jump pass conversation if he jumps? Nikola Jokic. Yeah, he's not going to (laughs) jump. He's not going to jump, but he does the same thing. I think that's cute because those guys are smaller, so they have to jump. But Jokic doesn't. He just holds on. So I love that. And Luka is, to his credit, like the Mavs have maintained a pretty fast pace of play this year. He's throwing hit-ahead passes. He's yep. getting up the floor fast, which is like if if he's got a bad matchup or if, if the other team is – is um, if he's guarding someone that he can beat up on offense, that matchup kind of persists to the other side of the I have a question floor. for you, Zach. I like this team. Yes, I have go. a question for you. After you became a father, did you like churn out go articles constantly? Because I see all these fatherhood stats ever since Luca became a father. His numbers have been amazing. So what was that experience like for you? Wow. Uh, okay, so after <laughs> I became a father, this is what happened to me. Um, I have gotten stitches one time in my entire life. And it was my daughter was six days old. This is how I went the other way upon becoming a father. <laughs> my daughter was six days old like and it's just like when you have a six day old baby in your house it's like you don't even know what the hell is going on and i was washing dishes and i dropped a glass and the glass shattered on the side of the sink and i went as it shattered at the same time it shattered i went to try to catch the glass and a giant shard cut me open right here along the edge of my thumb and i'm bleeding i'm like that seems bad so it seems like a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and just like an idiot. I'm like, I'm fine. Like, I'll just get a Band-Aid. It'll be fine. Oh, and, dear. And, the, and then I, like, open it up. Like, I, I, like, stretch the skin out on both sides. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen that part of my hand before. That seems like a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and so I literally, I'm like, I tell my wife, like, I think I got to go. I think I got to go to the emergency room. Emergency room. room. <laughs> so I wrap a dish towel around my hand. I get in the elevator with a bloody dish towel and there's a dude in the elevator with me and he's like, you going to the hospital? I'm like, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I go to the hospital and they're like, uh, you know, the someone directs me. He's like, oh, the emergency room's over there. He's like, yeah, I know. I was just at this hospital six days ago when my daughter was born. I know the whole layout of the hospital perfectly. <laughs> and then I get in line. You get in line to be attended to. And there's a woman behind me um, in line. And the person, the intake person assumes that, I I guess they have to ask this question. They ask me like, so is this the product of a domestic dispute between the two of you? Oh man. I'm like, no, 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 no. We just met. I'm way stupider than that. I just cut myself. And so I get stitches and I have this wrap I got to wear on my hand for like two weeks. It impacts my diaper changing ability. Like I can't, and my wife is like, you're so freaking incompetent. That we have a six-day-old baby, and you're already out on some of the you're prices. So, that, so <laughs> that's what happened. That's what happened to me, Shanae. Uh, uh, well, I guess you not Luka Doncic type of situation, but you did. 
you are, you are, you know. Seven stitches. I was very brave. I was very, the that nurse a, said I was very brave. Oh, you guys, when it comes to situations, man, you guys are funny. We're babies. <laughs> Men are babies. Like, it's a you common, it. it's a common theme among all of my friends that all of us, all the married couples that if the husband or the wife gets sick, and the mm-hmm. symptoms are exactly <laughs> equivalent, exactly equivalent, like 102 fever, some sneezes, some coughs, or like maybe it's a stomach thing. It, for the woman, it's like just they just soldier on. They're like, I got I got stuff to do. Like I can't, I can't. Like I pick up, I got to cook, yeah. I gotta pick up the daughter. I got, I got, I got work stuff to do. My wife's like writing books and this and that. <laughs> I get the same symptoms. I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. Bring me some. Can you bring food into the bedroom? Can you bring me water? I can't even get up. I can't do my, anything. My guy's sick right now, and I'm seeing it because I was like, you know, I was sick post wedding, and I, you know, flew here. I was trying to handle it and all that stuff, and my guy's sick, and you know, he finishes his work. He's a heavyweight boxer, and he's just lying down. He's like, oh, I can't do it. I'm just like, uh, okay, drink some tea. You know what I mean? Just gets delivered to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. here's a plate of food and water. I'm like, I'm try- we, yep. could, we could literally both be sick. And somehow I'm just such a weakling that I'm like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, I know we're wi- winding down. Yes. I'm just glad to show up today because here's a quick story, y'all. Zach and I, I've been trying to be more responsive to his texts. I love your podcast. I love being on it. And so Zach, maybe it was a month ago, was just blowing me up. Every day. Chanae, I need you. Chanae, I need you. Let's talk this. Let's talk uh, this. No, no, no. I, hold on. Hold on. Wait. That was only happening because at the beginning of the season, you said, you know what? <laughs> One of my goals for the season is I want to be on your podcast more. So it was not unsolicited blowing up. He was blowing me up all week long. And I wasn't using my phone that week and all that type of stuff. And then finally, it came to it. And he was like, Chanae, answer. I was like, Zach, I'm, I'm getting married today. I, I'm going to miss the podcast. And then I felt bad. <laughs> I, I you, did you know I was looking forward to texting you that the whole time? I was like, "Ooh, he no, I knew the wedding was coming up. I knew the wedding was coming up. I didn't know how he was. Literally, he was blowing me up like crazy. He was like, "Chanae, answer me. What's going on here?" Blah blah blah. Day after day, I was like, "Ooh, I'm gonna let this one marinate so I can hit him with the zinger." Bang. And then wedding day, I was like, "Zach, I'm getting." Married. It was my traditional right. wedding. So okay, Chanae Gumake. Any other parting thoughts <laughs> to to embarrass me with? No, that's it. That's all I got. Besides your hand and your text back on my wedding day, it's all good. Yeah, that was that was again. I was very brave, um, very brave. Seven stitches. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Okay, Chanae, I'll see you soon. Thank you. Always have a great weekend. <laughs>